We come to this time and this place to rediscover the wondrous gift of free religious community, to renew our faith in the holiness, goodness, and beauty of life, to reaffirm the way of the open mind and the full heart, to rekindle the flame of memory and hope, to reclaim the vision of an earth made fair with all her people one. Come, let us worship together. I'm Reverend Bob LaValle. Welcome to First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque. We're glad you're here. I'm here with our interim minister, Matt Partridge Villarreal, and our worship leader, and who's also the board chair, Michaela Renz Whitmore. And it's always a fun service when our house band, Disparate Parts, is providing the music. We're so glad they're here. Our Director of Religious Education, Mia Norin, is sharing today's Time for All Ages. Our DJ today is the venerable Arnie Golarud, and our tech team is Christine Robinson, Barry Clark from the Socorro Branch, and Cheryl Romanek. Thank you all for making it happen. If you're visiting, we're so glad, and you are invited to put your name and location in the chat so we can say hey. Michaela has a few announcements in the meantime, and also a very important message from the board. Are you new to Unitarian Universalism? Reverend Bob will be presenting a UU 101 class on Saturday, April 2nd, from 9 a.m. to noon. To register, check out this week's broadsheet. Want to chat with the board? Join members of the board for a breakout room after the service today. Come with questions, requests, praise, we'll take praise, or just a friendly greeting. Just stay on after the credits and you'll be placed in a board breakout room. And finally, the Young Adults Group will be meeting at 12.30 today in the Arnold Room on campus. If you're 18 to 35, you're a young adult and you are cordially invited to join. In the spring of 2021, our neighbors to the south, Arc of New Mexico, surprised us with the news that they were moving to another building. They generously offered to let us have first option to buy the building before they put it on the market. The congregation voted to do just that at a special congregational meeting in May, and we closed on the deal in August of 2021. Now, ideally, before buying a building, we would have gone through an extensive and thoughtful process about how to pay for the building, how we would use it, and how we'd integrate it into our church campus. Because of this time-sensitive opportunity, we didn't have that luxury. So in the spirit of fire, ready, aim, we have a building without a plan. This past week, the board made a hard decision about how to use the ARC building in the short term. By the way, board meetings are every third Tuesday at 6.30 every month, and you're open to anyone who wants to attend. Now, board members agreed that everyone needs to be involved in deciding on the ultimate and best use of the building, which would involve updating our campus master plan. That process is likely to take at least a year and will cost money that unfortunately isn't in this year's budget. The board also recognized that the congregation just voted to dedicate 2022 to focusing on the eighth principle, which means that the campus master planning process won't even be able to begin until 2023. At Tuesday's board meeting, the board learned that the building will need 
quite a bit of work before it is usable for the church. The building needs paint and carpet. It needs IT systems and phone systems to be installed. It needs furnishing and systems to be set up for scheduling and for security. Not only do these things take money that we don't have, the person responsible for these tasks would be the director of operations and that person just resigned. I know, not ideal. So the board decided to lease the ARC building until the church can complete a proper planning process and build up the funds to fully integrate the building into our campus once we know how we'll use it. The board will look for a tenant who shares our values and mission. Staff has hired a rental agent to help us find a good tenant and secure a good lease. We'll also look into finding a management company to take on the landlord tasks so that our staff can stay focused on church program and mission. Now in a perfect world, we would occupy the building immediately. Reality requires that we be patient and strategic to achieve our goals in the long term. This decision to rent the ARC building in the short term buys us a few really important things. Time to focus on the eighth principle, time to hire a new director of operations, get them up to speed and ready to take on a campus master plan update and hire a firm to help lead that planning effort. Also buys us a source of funds to cover the cost of the master plan update, expected to cost somewhere between 15 and $20,000. It buys us an opportunity to build up funds from the rent we receive to renovate the ARC building for whatever we decide is its best long-term use. And finally, it buys us time to build up funds for campus care, landscaping, and site work to make sure we have safe, beautiful paths to and from the new building into our campus, a welcoming entrance from the east, and maybe even, wait for it, a paved south parking lot. We've been dreaming about that for a long time. Please know that the board is mindful of the investment made in our church and our future because of your generosity and that this short-term decision is pressing pause on what the ARC building can add for us. In the meantime, we ask that you acknowledge the very real constraints we have in terms of funds, staff, energy, and focus. We'd rather do fewer things well rather than a lot of things poorly. We'll keep you posted as the process goes forward. If you know of a community organization or a service agency that's looking for about 5,000 square feet of office space, please let a board member or a staff member know. If you'd like to talk about this decision, stick around after the service to join the breakout room to speak with a couple of board members after this service. Thanks in advance for your patience and your ongoing support. And now we will light our chalice. As we light our chalice today, let us remember that we are part of a circle of faith, drawn together across communities and across time. May the warmth of this flame remind us of the love we find here together. May its dancing remind us of the joy we create by coming together and may its light show the path toward justice for all people everywhere. Everybody's wondering what and where they all came from. Everybody's wondering about where they're gonna go when the whole thing
Some say that you're wrapped in the arms of the Savior if in sinful ways you lack. Some say that they're coming back in the garden, a bunch of carrots and little sweet peas. I think I'll just let the mystery be. Director of Religious Education for Children and Youth here at First Unitarian Church. Today's story is I Wonder, written by Annika Harris, illustrated by John Rowe. It's the story of a little girl, Eva, who takes a walk with her mother and encounters a range of mysteries. Eva learns that it's okay to say, I don't know, and she also discovers that there are some things even adults don't know. Eva loves to look for the moon. It follows her from place to place, disappearing behind trees and mountains, and then appearing again someplace new. Look, Mama, there it is. The moon looks so beautiful in the sky. How do you think it follows us, Eva? Eva thinks about it, but she just can't figure it out. It's okay to say, I don't know, says her mother. When we don't know something, we get to wonder about it. I wonder if the moon and the earth are friends, says Eva. Her mother smiles. I like that idea. But mama, how does the moon really stay close to us? There is an invisible force called gravity that pulls all of the things in the universe together, Eva's mother explains. Gravity keeps the moon close to the earth and it keeps the planets close to the sun too. Eva understands a little better, but then she starts to wonder. 
Mama, where does gravity come from? I don't know, Eva. Nobody really knows for sure. And when no one knows the answer to something, it's called a mystery. A mystery is something for everyone to wonder about together. How fun. Eva imagines herself wondering about gravity together with all of the people of, in the world. Eva watches the moon disappear behind the clouds as she walks, excited to see where it will appear next. How many grains of sand are there in the whole world, Mama? I wonder about that too. There are trillions and trillions of grains of sand, but nobody knows exactly how many. Eva tries to think about all of the sand in the whole world. It feels so big that I can't fit it all in my imagination. It makes me feel dizzy like I'm falling. I know what you mean, her mother agrees, and I'm sure other people feel that way too. Eva walks down another path looking for the moon and a little orange butterfly appears. Then she notices there are butterflies everywhere. Mama, where did all these butterflies come from? These butterflies have been flying around for a few days, but they started out as little caterpillars and those caterpillars came from eggs and those eggs came from other butterflies. There are cycles all around us and one thing ending and another beginning. Things are always changing. Can you think of other things that change? Hmm. Clouds and frogs and me. Later, Eva wonders, Mama, what was here before all the butterflies, frogs, and clouds? Before everything? I don't know, answers her mother. It's another mystery. I like trying to imagine what was here before the beginning of everything. What do you think was here? And Eva says, smiling, I don't know. She thinks about it for a long time, and then she has an idea. I wonder if there were feelings. As she walks home, Eve sees the moon again, glowing brightly above the roof of her house. Let's go inside and look for the moon through the windows. We live with some big mysteries. When we come upon one, we're given a little gift. Every mystery is something for all of us to wonder about together. What do you wonder about? What a fantastic story. Thank you so much to Mia Norin, our uh, Director of Religious Education for the Time for All Ages today. Let's go ahead and pause the chat for a few moments during the meditation and prayer. As we transition now into this time of meditation, I invite you to allow your body to find a comfortable position 
if you have not already. Go ahead and close your eyes if that is comfortable for you. And become aware of the rhythm of your breathing. Inhale for four counts. Hold it at the top and exhale for four counts. Let this pattern of breathing become familiar to you. And after a while, imagine your breathing as the waves of the ocean, how they crash along the shoreline and travel back out. And as you picture your breathing this way, let yourself go to this beach that you have created in your mind. Feel the warmth of the sun on your skin, the occasional freshness of the ocean breeze. Feel even the greeny texture of the sand that you are sitting on. And take a few moments to experience that beach in your mind. And as we move into the next two minutes of sacred silence, I invite you to take all the worries and certainties that you came here with and leave them in front of you on the shore. Watch the waves coming in, picking them up and carrying them away from you out to sea and watch them disappear. And may you be left with the peace and quiet of the beach that you were on, free of all anxieties. And let us observe this moment of meditation together.
we come together as a community to share our lives. This sharing is an act of vulnerability and trust and generosity that strengthens our bonds. Please share first your joys that we can help you celebrate and then the concerns that are weighing on you that we can help carry as prompted by the video. If you can't share in the chat, we still want to hear from you. Send an email to our care team at caring at uuabq.org. Hey, you're doing okay. It's gonna take time. It's gonna take time. Hey, you're doing okay. It's gonna take time. It's gonna take time. Contracting, expanding Feel the waves and learn the lessons Time It's gonna take time The heart is a muscle Contracting, expanding Feel the waves and learn the lessons Time It's gonna take time
Great and powerful mystery of life. We come to you in this moment to offer up all of our prayers and concerns. We send them out into the ether, as many of us always have and have been taught to do, not knowing if what we say will be heard or answered. But we offer them in the hope that we will find some answer resolution that will help us know what our next step or the next direction we are to take in life may be, or just for comfort. In this moment of vulnerability, we lift up what is on our minds and in our hearts. We are grateful for all the joys, however small, that continue to have an impact in our lives things like birthdays, the arrival of spring and spring break, visits and evenings with family, friends, and the beautiful weather. We also come with concerns for those that we care about. We remember Lisa Johnson, who was recovering at UNM Hospital with a broken arm. We remember Martin Malecki, who happily is recovering from spinal surgery. We remember Sam Rivera, the father of Alana Rodriguez's children, who passed away in Texas last week. And we also pray for Nancy Lesky, Judith Riley, and Sarita, a friend of Arlena Ash, who is facing surgery and hospitalization. We pray for an end to war and all violent conflicts in the world, especially in Ukraine and elsewhere around the world. We pray for all the unhoused in our community and those who fear that they will not have a home to come to due to rising rent costs. We pray for all those who struggle with and are affected by addiction in all of its many forms. We continue to pray for our church and our church leadership during this time of transition and for our senior minister, Reverend Angela Herrera, who is on medical leave at this time. All these we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal known by many names. May we be kept safe. May we be kept secure. May we be surrounded by love. May it ever continue to be so. Amen and blessed be. And peace be with you.
In the days wherein he looked on me by Grady Chambers. Thursday, sad, wet morning, reading the Gospels on my way to work. I'd been doing that all year long, waiting for the bus on the front stoop's top step, making my way to the same back seat, balancing the thermos between my feet, 
reading through the trip, though it was short, so that each day I progressed just a few brief pages. St. Mark through May, St. John by August, dawn, the sun going up over spring garden, dusk, the sun going down. What did I learn? The bus I took one way took me home the other. My belief did not deepen. But Sundays, I'd shake the dust from the dog's rug out the open window overlooking the boulevard, then lie down beside him on the floor. I was trying to live as though someone else was watching. In between my first and second years of seminary, I did the first of my four trainings as a chaplain. And for this one, I trained at the Veterans Hospital in New York City. And during that time, I stayed at a Franciscan friary in the Lower East Side. The Franciscans were really great to me, just a raw UU seminarian. You know, and chaplain training is very demanding, and New York City itself is very intense, and I ended each day completely drained. But to get into the chaplain's, the friar's quarters in their building, I had to go through three heavy doors. And by the time I was truly inside, it felt like a sanctuary, an oasis. I got really close with the abbot of the friary, a brother, a guy named Brother Tom. And we talked about everything, about being a religious professional and serving. And he loved to tease me, though. And one time over breakfast, he asked, Tell me, Bob, how do you go to theological school when your religion doesn't have a theology? It was moments like that when I had to remind myself that I was only paying 500 bucks a month for room and board in New York City. The food was bad. That was still a pretty good deal. Anyways, Brother Tom had a point. How does one study theology in Unitarian Universalism? Ministers are expected to be the house theologians, serving up wisdom across many belief systems that exist under our roofs. It's a tall order. When I was in seminary, I took a ton of theology classes. It gave me a variety of frameworks for, th for, a variety of frameworks for thinking about the divine. I studied Christ Christian theology and history. I studied Islam. I studied womanist theology. Womanist theology is an approach to religion that centers the experience and perspectives of black women. So, for example, a womanist theologian will look at the Bible and critique texts that degrades women and people of color. I studied process theology that says that God can change and is changed by our acts of free will. Just to be clear, I'm really oversimplifying process theology and you do not want me to go any deeper. If you are actually really interested, there's literally a book titled Process Theology for the Perplexed. You can read that, but the title should warn you about what you're getting into. <laughs> theology is the study of the nature of the divine. But before we can start thinking about the nature of the divine, we have to decide if the divine exists at all. And that's an interesting question for Unitarian Universalists, isn't it? Sometimes we use fall into the trap of thinking of, our, think of ourselves as a binary. We're either atheists or theists. 
We either believe in God or gods or goddess or goddesses, or we don't. And that overlooks a significant chunk of our people, the agnostics. Now, an agnostic is someone who doesn't take a stand on whether or not there is divinity in the universe. There may be, they may be skeptical about the existence of God, but they're also not ready to rule it out. And I want to be upfront and say that I would describe myself as an agnostic. I've never personally had a mystical experience of the divine, and I've seen the concept of God and religion used to great destructive power. At the same time, I know folks who I trust who have had extraordinary connections with the divine. And who am I to say who's right and who's wrong? Sometimes I think about it like germs. 200 years ago, people didn't know what germs were and what their role was in their health and well-being. And that changed as the tools of science improved. With microscopes and advances in research, people like Louis Pasteur were able to observe germs and what they do. It changed everything. Suddenly, we understood the value of washing our hands and sterilizing our surgical instruments. And it makes you wonder... What if the divine exists, but we just don't have the tools to observe it yet? Maybe in the next decades, someone will invent the microscope that allows us to see God and study God and quantify God. Who knows? And the not knowing thing is such a big piece of all of this. Regardless of whether a person is atheist or theist or agnostic, it's all speculation, right? It's a guess based on personal experience, background, family history, and intellectual and emotional processes. And I'm just fine with that. And I love being in church alongside straight-up atheists and committed theists. They all have something to teach me. When it's working well, our celebration of theological diversity is the source of a creative tension where we're never allowed to settle for a pat or an easy answer. Unitarian Universalism is a place where we get challenged. But Unitarian Universalism is also a place where we are loved, not despite changing our minds, but because we can change our minds. So who knows? I might come back next week and say, hey, folks, you know what happened since last Sunday? I met God. By the way, she's really pissed off. But we affirm a free and responsible search for truth and meaning which means that when we get new information, we draw new conclusions. And I have to admit, sometimes I wonder if my agnosticism is kind of a cop-out, like I'm hedging my bets and taking a safe safe path. Like if I end up meeting God after all, and I'd have to say, hey, it's it's not like I didn't believe in you. I just wasn't exactly sure. (laughs) But for me, frankly, Being agnostic is also a way of saying that theology is not that important. And maybe we use don't have a theology for the whole religion. Now, for a lot of folks, this is heresy. In fact, I just saw an exchange on UU Minister Facebook turn nasty over this. Some minister, not me, ventured that we don't have a theology. And there was an ugly back and forth that really surprised me with its emotional tone. But consider this. For one thing, the name of the denomination is Unitarian Universalism, 
And as an aside from a marketing standpoint, the name is not helpful. 11 syllables, just to say the name of the religion. We are overdue for a rebranding. But just to remind folks, Unitarianism and Universalism are separate theologies, separate religions. Unitarianism started as, out as a contrast to the idea of the Holy Trinity, the Father and Son and Holy Ghost. Unitarians thought there was only one God, unified. And some of our European forebears were burnt at the, sp burnt at the stake for preaching that. The interesting thing is that over time, the idea of there only being one unified God became less important. And what became more important was the idea that people should be allowed to think for themselves. So the American Unitarian Association, which was one of the precursors of the Unitarian Universalist Association, which we have today, the AUA went from being another flavor of Christianity to being a big tent where humanism emerged and thrived and it might even be the dominant theology. Universalism, on the other hand, is an explicitly Christian religion that believes that all people will be eventually saved. That was the theology of the Universalist Church of America. And in the late 50s, the American Unitarian Association and the Universalist Church of America began negotiations to merge. And the merge they did in 1961, creating the Unitarian Universalist Association. But that doesn't change the awkward fact that those were two different theologies. And it doesn't change the awkward fact that nowadays, Unitarian Universalists don't think much about whether God is one or three, and they don't think much about the idea of, being, of people being saved in the afterlife. We're not really classically Unitarian, and we're not really classically Universalist, and yet that's our name. Now, I will say, we did keep one very important idea from each of the religions. We kept Unitarian, Unitarianism's freedom of the individual conscience, and we kept Universalism's belief that everyone had worth. Are these theologies? I think it depends how you, defend, how you define theology. But the truth is, is that we are not Unitarian and Universalist, not only those things, and not anymore. During the merger, one of the ideas for the name of this new denomination was the Free Church of America. And I always liked that one, the Free Church of America. Anyways, I do think that we have a set of expectations and obligations, as you use. We have a set of values. And I think Brother Tom, the Franciscan friar, was right. We don't have a core theology, but he's wrong about what he was implying, which is that Unitarian Universalism is a free-for-all. Our seven principles are non-negotiable. As for the rest, I love that we encourage people to choose a theology that works for them. Theology is very much a matter of personal taste and style and belief. We each come with our own individual longings and fears, our own individual hopes and wounds, and we each need our own theology. We each need our own theology to offer us consolation and guidance and inspiration. And holy cow, I love that we get to have our individual theologies and we get, together, we get to be together in a community that welcomes difference, that respects the individual and is both open-minded and open-hearted. Perhaps theological diversity is a theology in itself. 
if that's the case, then I think UU theology is just syncretic. It's mixing a lot of good ideas and practices. And remember, our denomination is young. It's just 61 years old. We are new and raw, and we have so far to go to develop the rituals and practices and, and yes, the theologies. I do feel the need to give the president of our denomination, Reverend Susan Frederick Gray, an opportunity to weigh in about this. She says, Unitarian Universalist commitment to justice, equity, and democracy is not just political or moral. It's fundamentally theological. It grows from our affirmation of the inherent worth and dignity of every person and the knowledge that we are all interconnected. It reflects the fact that our theology is not so much concerned with the afterlife, but is accountable to the human experience and the conditions of people's lives here and now. Human dignity and interdependence are the foundation of our commitment to a multiracial, pluralistic society. I can't argue with that. But back to our individual theologies. As we develop our individual theologies, and perhaps a theology for the larger denomination, we need to consider what makes a good theology. This is really important. We all know how much damage bad theology can cause. So much of the profoundly evil legislation that's going on now in Texas and Florida and elsewhere, the attacks on trans people, the attacks on women's right to reproductive health, these attacks are based on bad theology. And I am so angry about this for two reasons. First and most importantly, it's people with privilege punching down on people who are vulnerable. I hate a bully. And second, it makes it so much harder for a progressive religious person to share the good news that there are religions out here that liberate people rather than oppress them. We are one of them. If there was any justice, the people who are passing these foul laws would go to the hell that they imagine exists. So I guess I'm not a universalist. And it's just not fundamentalist Christians. Sam Harris, for example, is a very prominent and outspoken atheist, and he attacks all of Islam in ways that just aren't fair. Our individual theologies can have problems too. They can let us justify our selfishness or intellectual laziness. They can let us get away with navel-gazing and never looking beyond ourselves to the suffering of others. I have another story from my chaplain training. This was during my fourth training where I was doing a chaplain residency in Buffalo, New York. And our cohort was like the beginning of a joke. We were a conservative Jew and a Catholic nun from Kenya and a Baptist woman and myself. And all of, our, all of my cohort members' religions had a healthy dose of sexism and homophobia built in. And from time to time, I would just get really frustrated with them. And one day we were arguing and our supervisor finally cut in and she, she was great. She was an Episcopal priest. She was a white lesbian woman. And she said, I judge theologies by this standard. Are they life affirming or life limiting? Are they life affirming or life limiting? It reminds me of what the UU minister, Reverend Marilyn Sewell preached. She said, when we ask ourselves what our lives are about or what they should be about, the question we should pose is this, am I a healing presence or a hurting presence? Am I a healing presence 
or a hurting presence. I had a theological moment a couple weeks ago. I met a friend for dinner and I got to the restaurant first. The restaurant was on Lomas, Lomas Avenue. Big, for folks who are not in Albuquerque, that's a big street that runs through Albuquerque. And when I arrived, there was a person in the middle of Lomas pacing back and forth through the lanes, screaming and agitated. They were throwing things at cars and stepping into their car's path so the cars would have to stop. It was terrifying to watch. The person was so furious and agitated that I didn't dare go talk to them. I didn't feel safe. So from the safety of the parking lot of the restaurant, I called 911 and requested a community safety team. And after 911 got the information and assured me that someone was coming, I went into the restaurant after watching this person get narrowly avoid getting hit by a bus. When the waitress seated me, I explained what was going on in front of their restaurant and a few minutes later, I saw someone who I assumed was the manager going out the door. She was a white woman in her 30s in a suit with an air of being in charge. A few minutes later, she came back in with that person. And she sat them down in the middle of her restaurant on a crowded Friday night. And she fed them a meal. And when they were done, they left without incident. The next time the waitress came around, I asked if I could speak with the manager when it was convenient for her. And she came over and I said how much I admired what she did. She told me that when she went out and saw what was happening, she was so terrified she had no idea to say, what to say. So she just yelled out, hey, are you hungry? And the person immediately stopped their raving and said, yeah. So she brought them in and fed them. What's the manager's theology? What does she believe about what happens to us after we die or why we're here in the first place or how the universe was created? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is she believes, it's life affirming. Whatever her creed is, she was a healing presence. That's all I need to know. May that be our theology. In this season of growth, let us donate some of our budding green and our celebration of change as seeds of future harvest that will feed our good work in the world. Our Change for the Future organization for March through May is the Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico, providing advocacy, education, and direct services in support of transgender, gender nonconforming, non-binary, and gender variant people and their families. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church office and include change for the future on the memo line. Thank you for your generosity. Love traveled far and wide, cross hills.
Lots in countryside to answer the question troubling me. When one day out of the blue, I realized I knew. And the answer was as simple as could be. Is there a God above? Is there eternal love? Probably not. What is given in generosity is received in gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque and our Change for the Future recipient, the Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico. If you would like to stay on and chat with a few of your fellow sibling congregants, and we would always love it if you would, please stay on after the end credits and you'll be placed in one of our breakout rooms. If you would like to join our special breakout room today, to talk to a few of our wonderful First Unitarian board members, please let us know and we will be happy to navigate you to that breakout room. To get the discussion started, here is a question to consider. What is a source of healing presence that you are able to find in your life? What is a source of healing presence that you are able to find in your life? Before we extinguish our chalice, I invite you to navigate your Zoom screens to gallery view. Look at all of the wonderful smiling faces back at you. 
go ahead and let us participate in our pacham greeting. Place one hand on your heart, and extend the other out, making eye contact with all of those wonderful smiling faces back at you as is comfortable for you to do. Let's extinguish our chalices. May our theologies be life-affirming. May our, our theologies bring healing. Go in peace and practice radical love. <laughs>